You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. The Living Legends Foundation presents Music Day, a verified hit. Well, today it's all about Afrobeats. I'm so excited about today's show. Afrobeats is sweeping across America, and it is just a genre, no matter what mood I'm personally in, it uplifts me, it just makes me feel good, and I listen to it all day, all night, okay? So I'm Monique Kelly, and this is Music Day, a podcast about trends and issues facing the Black music business, unapologetic conversations that we hope will educate and inspire those listening. Like I said earlier, we're going to give you insights on Afrobeats genre that's gaining tremendous attention. We have assembled a few guests who are going to share their expertise and insights about the genre. We invite you to stick around and be sure to press that like button if you like what you're hearing. Be sure to subscribe in that bottom left-hand corner and make sure you share some of your comments as well. And make sure to subscribe again so you can be alerted about all of the Music Day news and episodes. So I'm going to introduce our guest today. First, we have Lisa Yaro, a Nigerian-American singer and songwriter, actress, producer, and CEO and owner of record label Music Corner LLC. She has worked with a number of Grammy-nominated producers and artists and had many songs on Maya Smooth Jones that was nominated for a Best R&B Album Grammy. Lisa has enjoyed success as an independent Afrobeat artist with several commercial releases and tours in the U.S. and Lagos. She has executive produced films. Okay, Lisa. Okay, executive produced films including the recently released Freedom's Path. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So glad to have you here. Next, we have Greg Johnson. He is a media marketing executive, arts advocate, event producer, president of the Arts Council for Long Beach, California, and host and producer of Afropop radio podcast. He promotes travel and tourism to Africa, coordinating travel groups to the continent, and his mantra is to build bridges of music, arts, and culture between Africa and America. He also imports his own line of coffee from Cameroon. He is also a veteran of the Marine Corps. Welcome, Greg, and thank you for your service. Ah, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. I was telling you earlier that I can't wait to have some of your coffee. We're going to get into that soon. Get that little energy boost. First, let's just dive into it. The first question I have for people who are not familiar with the genre is, what is the difference between Afrobeats and Afrobeat? Well, Afrobeat <laughs> was essentially created by Fela Kuti, which was in the, like the 1960s and 1970s. 
that is like a blend of Yoruba music with jazz. Now, Afro beats is more of a collective of songs. I'd say like West African pop and, you know, it's a genre a umbrella of Afro beat, just different genres of Afro beats put together. So labels had an easier, accessible way of identifying it. Now, you just mentioned uh, Fela Kuti. And back in the yeah. 70s, his music was an influence on pop performers such as Brian Eno, David Byrne, and he collaborated with Roy Ayers. And the recent Afro Beats music has spawned collaborations between African artists and Justin Bieber, Selena Gomez, Brandy, and Beyonce. And that's over 40 years in between. What do you think is the reason for the recent exploding popularity around the globe? I'll start with you, Greg. I think first off, it's uh, it's all about our connectivity through the internet. We're able to hear the music and discover the music in a way that we haven't been able to hear before. Now it's global. And I think that's uh, as we begin to explore through the digital world, we connect with Mother Africa and we hear these rhythms and therefore you see these collaborations, you know, uh, on the on, on the American side. I really like the more pure you know, Afro beats uh, sound, uh, the folks that are, you know, I'm a big Burner Boy fan, Wizkid, Stone Boy, you know, all the, you know, we go on and on and on. Yeah. <laughs> and Lisa, how about Which for you as an artist? Very, Burner Boy was a trailblazer with Afro beats being created in the sound and the genre, especially bringing that more familiarized in the UK. Um, as for me as an artist, um, I concur with what he said. I think it's heavily based on social media. You know, it's a new ball game for the industry in itself because the internet has really opened gateways and doors for independent artists to maneuver and find their tribe, find their listeners, as opposed to having to go through labels and doing the groundwork manually. Now you can get on the internet, sing your song. And I mean, as we see on TikTok, you know, people musicians are going viral every city like single time Libyanka she had a song called people she was posting every day on her tiktok and the song went viral chris brown all these different artists are sampling her songs listening to her songs now she has people coming to her wanting a feature with her and it's just giving you the social media aspect of it gives you a whole new platform to get your your voice across so it's definitely game changing how did you go about building your audience when you first came into this genre and, and building an audience, what was the first thing that you did? See, for me, starting in 2018, um, TikTok and, you know, these platforms weren't really open and accepting to Afrobeats and, you know, things of that nature because mm. they weren't very familiar with it. So being in the States, I would travel to Nigeria often and stay for like a month, two months at a time to make music, go back to market, promote music, go to Ghana, go to UK. And I kind of did the footwork, you know, with my team out there, which I'm blessed to have. Um, but now it makes it more accessible for me to market on these various platforms as opposed to always having to feel pressure to go back and be on the ground soil. Now, I, I do it regardless because that's home for me. And Africa, Nigeria, it's where it starts. You, you have to. It's like a rite of passage. You have to work your way out. But, you know, with the social media platforms, it just gives you a little bit more mobility to, to get your, your songs okay. out to different people in different parts of the world. 
The beauty of social media, the beauty of social media really (laughs) can really grow an audience at such a fast rate. And Greg, what have you found to be the greatest barrier to Afrobeats penetrating the American market? Hmm. Well, I think they're doing a pretty doggone good job (laughs) there. You know, you're starting to see uh, since I... I was since I've been exposed to the music and and not just Afrobeats but African contemporary African music in general as well we cover on our podcast we go all across the continent right the whole thing is um in impacting the US marketplace uh, was really kind of predicated on you know their position and getting awards I know that even speaking to artists um you know on the continent uh, they're they're happy to get the Grammy nomination or the BET award nomination, but then they travel all this way and, and then it doesn't even get shown on mainstream TV. Mm-hmm. I know that a couple of years ago they they changed that. And when I think it was uh, Davido that won that award, when he won that award and they put it on the main telecast, that opened up their that music format across the board. There were people who knew that I was into this type of music and they were like, Mr. J, man, I, I never heard of Davido. I never heard of Berta Boy. He got the BET award. Oh, this music is dope. You know, that's how it, you know, began to catch a fire in the United States. And do you find with black radio, do you find them welcoming, a welcoming sympathetic outlet to the genre? Lisa, how about for you? How, what's your experience been with Black Radio? Um, my experience has been very inviting, and I'm very fortunate because I feel right. as though we are all collectively coming together and expanding our knowledge on, you know, our race and, you know, being more open to traveling, being more open to listening to the different genres that we have and vice versa in Nigeria, hip hop, R&B, all of those genres are played, you know, and I, I think it's a it's a great experience to finally see that it's everything is being um, reciprocated. So I, 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 I've had a great experience with it. I might want to, I want to speak to that. I, I um, you know, I, I have a 30 plus year broadcast career. And I know that when I first began to, it, it was through the radio station that I began to even discover, you know, a- contemporary African music. I began, I was taking my first trip to South Africa. And as I was preparing for that trip, I'm listening to radio stations on the continent in South Africa. I don't want to see what, you know, what's going on. I want to hear the commentary and all that. And, uh, you know, I began to discover, a, a, you know, music and songs that were like, oh, dang, man, you need to know about this group at home. This is dope. You know, I'm really catching on. And as I began to explore across the continent is when I began, you know, discover, right, the West African, the Afro beats, the, the high life, the you know, on and on and on. But I feel like, you know, presenting that to a radio programmer in those days, and that would be the mid 2000s, you know, it wasn't really welcome, welcoming. You know, it, it, uh, I can tell you stories where uh, people visited the radio station that were tremendous superstars on the continent. Mm-hmm. But people in the station were like, okay, who are you now? <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah. what do you know? They're like filling up stadiums in, in, in Africa, you know. It's really, really interesting. Now when I listen, being outside now and when I listen to the station, I hear a lot of Afro beats and I'm like, okay, dang, I told y'all. This is, <laughs> you know, this is it. So I'm glad to see the progression that it has made uh, thus far. Right, I am too. And do you think that it's getting equal to the engagement we see globally for hip hop as the years are going? Do you find it's it's getting closer to that now and that same popularity? Uh, you know, I don't even know if I want that, right? I mean, they have their own hip hop 
artist over there, hip hop is a universal expression of art, right? And so you do have young people coming and they're they're expressing what they see in the hood, you know, through through rap music, through lyricism, spoken lyrics. But uh, I really like the um Listen, the drum is everything. Okay, right. I I love the rhythms of uh, the various regions of contemporary African music. Uh, you, as an example, outside of Afrobeats, you have like in Southern Africa now is Ama Piano, and this is a, becoming a very strong sort of like house music. I mean, house music is their thing down in that region, but uh, you know, it's sort of like house music. But out of the years of the pandemic, because the kids are sheltering in place and using their tech available technology, they've created this whole new genre of music, which is taking, you know, African radio by storm all over the continent. You listen to uh, contemporary radio Yikes! Is I'm a piano is the is becoming a, a thing. Uh, Afro beats is becoming a thing. Burna Boy versus uh, I'm trying to remember. The, I, I can't remember, but you know, yeah, producers like Don Jazzy and that's coming out of Nigeria, right? But their songs, he does have hip hop driven artists, but the and then you know, but a lot of vocalists. It's got its own little flavor versus hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I like that. What have you found to be an influential platform for the introduction of Afrobeats. We hear it in upscale venues, hotels, clubs, and lounges. What is the reality of all of that? I think for me, the reality is the clubs. You know, it's it's almost like mm-hmm. an underground way of coming into those other establishments. The DJs, you know, they're really a big key in a lot of new music being broken out and, you know, people hearing a different sound because attention span is very short for most people. If you're in the car, you know, <laughs> how often are people, you know, in the car listening to something for five seconds, 10 seconds that they don't know, it's unfamiliar to them, they'll change the station. Whereas you're in a club, you're in a setting where you're there to listen to music. It has your attention. So oftentimes the DJs are the ones that, you know, help to carry new sound into different spaces. And we spoke on this briefly, but Greg, you talked a little bit about the um, Grammys and DeVito getting the award, but has the Black media in America given the artists and the music its fair share of visibility? Is it a fight for media coverage and inclusion in BET and AACP awards, et cetera? What what is your uh, view of that? I think that we have a a whole new consciousness in Black America, Mm -hmm. right? We must, we must, we must be about building a bridge of music, arts, and culture with Africa. And with that comes education. If you see now, I mean, in my age group, you know, you look at the continental Africans who have come over, you know, back in the college days, you know, we, we saw them, but we created this chasm, right, of misunderstanding uh, that exists. But now you have generations, they've achieved careers now, they have roots now here in the United States. And then, you know, layered on top of that is the internet. We now are discovering one another and social conditions in the United States have dictated that we must pay attention to our brothers and sisters on in the diaspora and what they're doing artistically, expressions of art, expression of literature, on and on and on. We, it's a global time now for us as American descendants of slaves. Now, has black media embraced that? They still got some ways to go and, and, and they need to cut it out with 
drawing this chasm, embrace our continental brothers and sisters, and we only will become a strong nation across the world uh, accordingly. So there it is. And Lisa, as a Nigerian American, how do you bridge the gap from your Nigerian roots to your American roots in your music and also how you approach, you know, promoting your music um, as a Nigerian American? Um, so my journey has been an interesting one, you know, being born and partly raised in Nigeria, growing up in the States, it's always a sense of Nigerians, Africans weren't really that accepted back then, you know, as they are embraced now um, from personal experiences that you that you I would encounter. Um, being a songwriter, writing pop, R&B here in the States, but loving and listening to Afro beats, it was a way for me to express who I am because although I'm Nigerian, I, I, I'm still American. You know, I, I was raised here. I have so many experiences here. And being okay with knowing that I am who I am and I can create my own lane and not try to follow someone else's footsteps because we don't have the same journey. When you're true to yourself and true to your artistry, you're going to attract those who embrace it. And that's the, the key for me mm-hmm. is embracing my um, Afrobeats roots and embracing the R&B and the pop as a writer. That's what, you know, I, I've written and, you know, working with other amazing writers just to get different perspectives. And, you know, whenever I go back home, it's like an inspirational thing for me because I gain so much insight and, you know, knowledge on different things when I'm not there on the ground. that I'm like, oh, I can totally blend these two yeah. worlds together mm-hmm. because it's something new. So I always try to strive for authenticity and being true to the art in that sense. So it's, it's been a it's been a good journey so far. And funny enough, you mentioned I'm a piano. My upcoming single is an I'm a piano record. So yeah. Oh, nice. What's the name? What's the name of your upcoming single? It's called Savage. So BET Jams has the world exclusive rights to it for the video. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, that is great. So the, the single drops May 26th. Ooh, that's going to be good. I'll make sure to send it to you privately. Yes, please. Because I, you know I'll be jamming it up from here. And how do you decide who you want to collaborate with? Do you pick someone, another artist who understands Afrobeats and has an appreciation for Africa, Nigeria? Or do you think about, about it more of what's going to make it pop? How do you decide who you collaborate with? So that's a great question. When I first started in the industry, I think my mindset, which a lot of artists have that mindset of, you know, I love my music. I want to get it to as many different platforms as possible. So let me go and, you know, feature like someone that's very big and very known. And sometimes that's not the best route because you're creating your path. So sometimes their audience isn't a fit for the path that you're creating for yourself. I think along the journey, I've learned that I have to be grounded and present myself first to the world individually before I can even think about features and things of that nature, because the focus is for them to know who Lisa Yarrow is outside of a feature. And then, you know, those, you know, those come with relationships and bonding and, you know, uh, are we on the same page as far as, you know, this is the sound, what's the message you're putting out? Because I'm very mindful on that as well. You know, music is a weapon and, and it's how you wield it. And I'm very, I make sure I wield it in the right way. And I make sure that my music uplifts and not brings people bring people down. So, but right now the EP, everything is, it's just Lisa Yarrow. It's just the, you know, everyone getting to know who Lisa Yarrow is. And then outside of that, 
the features, you know, I'll, I'm open to the features. But at my first introduction to it, I had that mentality. I had to really sit back, you know, be honest with myself and what, you know, what my target was. And I said, I just want them to know who Lisiaro is and, and get that direction. And, then- and they and they know Lisa. They they know your name. <laughs> And Greg, I want to talk a little bit about Fela on Broadway. It was a smash hit. It undoubtedly brought this music to the forefront with its producers like Jay-Z and Will Smith. Is there another event in the works to highlight Afrobeat uh, that you're aware of in addition to the work that you're doing? I mean, you know, uh, probably not on that level, always talking about uh, trying to create um, transcontinental, you know, experiences in in this way. Uh, We've done uh, for Africa Day a couple of years ago, we did Afrobeats. Afrobeat Explosion featuring Najite, who was a student of Fela Kuti. Uh, we've been talking about doing uh, other types of expositions with uh, various, uh, you know, from uh, coming out of Ghana, the Grammy nominated Rocky Dawuni. Uh, he's more Afro reggae pioneer, but uh, certainly very well known in that region of the continent. Um, uh, globally speaking, though, is how I've been looking at festivals and events like or like a Fela Kuti High Art, right? Uh, we're going back to Ghana for Panafest, uh, the Pan-African Arts and Culture Festival. And there we'll probably see all different types of, you know, contemporary African music as well as the traditional. So, um, man, I think we're at a point now where pioneering in that space is is the opportunity uh, because it's all about um you know, introducing the masses of Americans to to this music, dispelling the myths about uh, our brothers and sisters on the continent is like crazy. And then that, once we dispel the myths, we begin to to listen to the music, and we'll find that we have more in common, uh, you know, than uh, than not, right? And then the drums and the music are just a whole other thing. It's just like. Yikes. Uh, when you listen to Kitabetu, Lisa Yarrow has some rhythms that are crazy. Wow. Wow. That's that's great. That's great. And um, it's, it's the timing of Abdul joining us as soon as we're talking about some of the upcoming festivals and events mm. is perfect. So let me just do an introduction. How are you doing, Abdul? Welcome. I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Great. Great. So let me just... In case you don't know, I'm sure you do. Abdul Kareem Abdullah is CEO of Afro Future Fest and founder and CEO of Culture Management Group. Afro Future is an annual festival held in Ghana and is dedicated to promoting and elevating Africa's talent, food, art, and fashion. They have brought over 65,000 global travelers to Ghana since its inception in 2017 and generated over $4 billion in tourism revenue. Abdul and the team were named Goodwill Ambassador of Tourism to Ghana to help promote the country's tourism globally. He has a bachelor's degree in psychology and biology and a master's degree in public health. Whoa. Okay. Welcome, Abdul. (laughs) Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. It's so interesting. We were just talking about Fela on Broadway and how it was such a big hit. And the music festivals are proving to be a good way to extend the reach of the music. And you co-founded Afrochella, now Afrofuture, 
Afro Nation is being held in Miami in May, and Chance the Rapper and Vic Mensa just held their Black Star Line Festival last January. You mentioned in an interview early about how a failed event at Shiny Beach helped them to create the mega successful Afro Cello. What lessons did you learn from that experience? Um, when we decided to throw Shiny Beach, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming. You are looking forward to share our story. Um, when we started to try and throw an event at Shiny Beach, to be honest, um, it was in the vein of us just throwing a party. <laughs> uh, we didn't really have a great understanding of, of what we were trying to do. And really, all Shining Beach did was refine for us what we should be doing. Uh, whereas the event itself wasn't so great, the thing that was great was some of the underground artists that we saw that performed. And and that really inspired us saying, wow, like, you know, the thing we should have been focusing on was just how to figure out how to bring talent to the world, how to uh, explore uh, opportunities to create opportunities for young talent, like the ones that were performing on that stage at Shining Beach. And that gave us, uh, you know, some time to sit down a few years to kind of think about our concept, build out what we wanted to do, connect more with people on the ground. Um, you know, refine our thoughts and theories and, and, and put it together in 2017, we was able to come back with a very big success. Wow. And Lisa, as an artist, what is the best part about performing at festivals? What, what do you love most about that aspect of it? I think for me, it's engaging with the audience, engaging with the crowd. Um, I just recently went on tour uh, end of last year with Flavor, and I opened up for a shake in uh, Texas. So, you know, oftentimes when you come out and they're not knowledgeable, you know, if they're waiting to see that headline artist, you know, they're like, who's this? You know, and then coming out <laughs> and then when you're leaving the stage, when they see the energy and then they're listening to the music, like, OK, hold on, I can get into this. I love that that connection that I have with them because now they're in tune with what I'm doing. Now they're sharing a piece of my music and now they're knowledgeable on who Lisiara is, my sound, and I love to give a show. So I don't care if it's one person or a thousand people, I'm gonna full on give the energy and you know put it all out there because at the end of the day, it's you know it's your dream, it's your life, and it's something you're pursuing. I'm very passionate about what I do, and I just make sure that it comes out in every single thing that I do. I love that. I love that. And Abdul, when is the Afro Future uh, this year? Uh, so Afro Future is the same time every year. It's always going to be December 28th uh, and 29th. Uh, so uh, we've kept it at that date since the inception. It's always going to be that date. doesn't matter what day of the week it is. Okay. Okay. Kind of like Christmas. You just, the date doesn't change or your birthday. You just, no, December 28th. That's when the <laughs> next one is. That's smart. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> could I just say something right here? Yeah, please, Greg, by all means. So what a what an honor, Brother Abdul, to meet you. I was at Afrotella oh, this man, past amazing. December. And um, let me just tell y'all. <laughs> <laughs> So in my many travels to the continent, right, I decided this year, uh, last year, we decided that we would, you know, wow, what would it be like to spend Christmas in in Ghana, right? And we had gone for this the year before for this business delegation. We said, oh, what would it be like to spend Christmas in Ghana? So I'm researching our trip and everything. And I realized looking on social media that Ghana in December is a thing. Okay. And I, did, I didn't know this, right? <laughs> I was like, oh, holy crap, man. I'm looking at all these people. So we took a 
we took a apartment in Accra and we actually lived in Ghana for a month and a half, all through oh, December. And one of the touch points for me as a music vet is I had to go to Afrotella, right? Oh, and so I was at Afrotella and uh, I'm a little heated because y'all changed Burner Boy's date, but that's okay. <laughs> but I will, I just want to say it is such a privilege and honor to be on this podcast together with you, Brother Absolutely. Alfred, because it was, I'm going to tell you all that it was incredible to see all of the people, the music lovers, and now at my age, I'm starting to say the young people come together from all over the diaspora. The The vibe was just on a whole nother level of blackness. Mm-hmm. Um, I tied my little pandy cam out there. I'm still editing the video up and everything, but just the cultural explosion in your and the molecular level that you have walking through this Afrocella experience is is I mean, I don't probably don't have a word in my vocabulary to share with you all, except to say Ghana in December, as they say over there, death to December. Make sure that now it's Afro Future. I don't agree with, I mean, I know why y'all had to change it. I should have left it at Afro Chella because that was the flyest <laughs> thing ever. Right? You, can call, but, you can call it whatever you want to call it, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, man, it's it is an incredible, incredible experience, and uh, the, all the artists, the, the food, uh, 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 y'all got to do Afro, Afro, Afro future. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I think for us, um, you know, just to even address like the name changes, really, like no matter what we call it, it's still gonna feel exactly what you're describing, right? A, a space for black people within the diaspora to congregate and for us to tell stories, uh, share stories, uh, for us to build each other. I think some of the things that we wanted to do is to kind of create that feeling you're describing, right? The formula, and for us, is really just kind of bringing the food, the music, the art, and the fashion together. And we knew that it was going to create an experience that 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 wasn't going to be something forgettable for for people. Uh, and 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 that allows us to be able to dig into those stories a bit. And you know, this year, I mean, in the past couple of years, we've kind of taken the music experience not just on the stage, but added a museum component on it so people can learn um you know not just a fashion component on the field where people come with amazing garbs Mm. but also just kind of having a discussion about african fashion on the side and i think that by creating that environment in ghana in december we're we're kind of creating an expo of sorts that allows us to kind of boost tourism that allows us to be able to kind of educate people in the diaspora around the world about each other um what what i'd love to say is really that you know we're pretty much the same we just have different uh, strategies of how we've arrived at our current consciousness and and if we're able to kind of like connect on that level where we can find commonality the 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 um the limits are limitless <laughs> it's so interesting that you said that greg because i have so many friends that have gone to ghana in december and when you go once it is an annual thing and it is it's a wonderful experience and abdul it seems to me like you you are just a pioneer at just creating these great experiences. Now, I saw on your IG that you have an event in the Ivory Coast in April that you're teasing. What is that event that's coming up in April? Absolutely. I mean, so outside of just kind of connecting the diaspora, some of the work that we're trying to do is also connect the continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as you can know, there are different parts of the continent. There's Francophone Africa, Anglophone Africa, Lucifone Africa, right? There, there's so many different uh, speaking languages, depending on who colonized the, diff- the country, right, uh, is the language that, that's being spoken. And some of the work that we want to do is really just kind of bridge that gap. 
Uh, right now, a lot of the music that people are enjoying heavily are, is Anglophone, right? So the Shakes, the Burners, the Kid are coming out of those Anglophone countries. And my piano's on the rise now, right, where people are listening to more Southern African music. Uh, but Francophone music is amazing music, right? Since I was a child, we used to love listening to Mapuka and some of these amazing people that were coming out of Angola, Cote d'Ivoire. So some of the work that we're doing with La Sande, uh, which is a DJ collective out of... Uh, Cote d'Ivoire, we're collaborating to really just kind of talk to Francophone Africa and, and, and figure out some of the joys that they like. You know, a lot of the West African cultures are very similar in the foods that we eat, um, you know, and, and the garbs everywhere. Even the materials are around the same type of um, colorways. Um, but, you know, we have different, so many different tribes in Ghana alone, in Accra, there may be Gaz and the Santis and Trees. So I'm, I'm sure it's pretty much the same across Africa and, and really just being able to understand the nuances by collaborating and developing those relationships with our partners across the continent um, is some of the work that we're doing in Cote d'Ivoire as well. Okay. And then one other question about Afrotello, Afrofuture, for people who are now going to be rushing to go there, <laughs> what should they, yeah. what's the weather like around that time? How should people dress? Like Ooh. just so they know how to pack. Well, right now we're all dealing with uh, uh, global warming, uh, and global warming sometimes can affect us in Ghana. But you know, in Ghana, we sit right there on the equator. Um, you know, the, the weather is warm uh, during the time we're in the dry season. During that December period, a lot of the the summertime is when it gets uh, there's a lot of rain and, and wet. Um, but you know, in 2019, what was it? 2021. It might have been 2021. Last year, we did it We um, yeah, two years ago. We experienced rain in December, which was the first time we had in about 12 years. So, you know, it can happen, but it's always warm. Think about summertime. Definitely want to have your nice outfits because people are really coming to show off their drip. Uh, from all over the world, <laughs> uh, you know, and, um, you know, it's just, you know, come just ready to have a good time. You know, I think it doesn't really matter what you're wearing. I think most people also find tailors on the ground and, and start creating their own garb. So, you know, you probably could pack light and, and come and support the local economy as well. I love it. Now, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, and I'm directing this question to you, Lisa, because Fela Kuti was well known for his political activism in his music. Afrobeats played a part in the recent election in Nigeria when Fields and DeVito addressed the lack of reliable power on their song Electricity. Do you see more artists willing to take a stance and address societal issues in their music, including yourself? I, I definitely do. Um, my latest single, Yaro, featuring Zlatan, uh, if, if you've seen the music video, it kind of touches on, you know, the police brutality that was going on in Nigeria. And I kind of got some pushback mm. pertaining to, oh, I don't know if you should really put that in the video. You know, you're still working your way through the industry. And for me, it's, you know, it's a form of expression. If I have a way to express, I will do so. And I think it was very fitting to kind of show you know, sometimes you'll get pulled over just for being someone that looks like they have money. So, you know, mm. that was going on in Lagos with, you know, um, Mopos and um, people thinking that you're a Yahoo boy. And that's someone, perception, someone that has money from, you know, ways of not being the typical nine to five. And it's also kind of translates to what's going on in the States with, with police brutality. And, you know, our people who have our complexion often get pulled over more times than someone who's not. And, you know, just kind of mm -hmm. shedding light and bringing that to the forefront through music. So I think more artists are being brave to speak on it. And, you know, speaking on it can come in different 
platforms and some use their words and some use their visuals and some go out on the ground and protest. Um, but we need someone in every single corner to be, you know, a voice. And I think, you know, that's like all moving parts. We all find our lane and our way of expression and we can move together. You know, it's interesting in in this space here. What we see on on continental Africa is I mentioned earlier. See, we're in a space as a diaspora in cultural revolution, whereby in the days of Fela Kuti, yes, he his records are about every uh, social ill that's happening in that in that area. The system fought back. They killed his mom. There's a whole story behind that, behind all of that, you know, so the, the forces that he spoke out against did strike back hard. But in this day and time, what we're seeing, is, especially in Africa, is the young people are saying, look, the old ways are no more. We can do this now. We're more educated. We can we can be more uh, we're we're more fearless to speak out against it. And you hear this in the in the music. Look at that, Mother Africa is the average age on the continent is 19 years old. The average age in Ghana is 25. They're saying in their music, they're speaking against the old ways. Yes, we have independence, but now we want accountability. And this is also happening among the youth here in the United States. And music and art as a tool is that is that way to do that. When when Brother brings all of those people from all over the diaspora to come to his you know, to his festival and just be imbued in the culture and being proud of who we are. And then now that that manifests itself through strong and relevant messages through their music, through their art, thus and so. That's so true. That's really a great point, Greg. And Abdul, with the events that you're putting together and the festivals, do you think about some of the political activism and ways that you can bring attention to various issues when you're doing your various events as well? That's a great question. I think, uh, you know, we've we've tried to stay uh, apolitical about stuff uh, because of the position that we're in. Um, but some of the programming that we have as, as a company, but some of the programming that we have uh, created is, um, has spoken to some of the things that uh, are against. So our first ever activation at the first ever Afrochella was about the Libyan crisis, about, you know, how they were um, trafficking. So a lot of the artwork is speaking to some of the causes, but as a, as a company, because we are still prone to <laughs> the powers that be, we have to be mindful about how we operate in that space as well, right? It's, it's still a, a dual political system. We have a lot of um, things that we want to do on the continent. So uh, we need to be mindful about how we, we go about, you know, uh, protesting the system while we're in the system. Right. You got to gotta be very uh, strategic about strategic about that so that yeah. the foundation of what you're doing isn't lost. I totally get that. And Greg and Abdul, with the long with your Long Beach, the Long Beach Arts Council and uh, the festivals that Abdul does, do you see yourselves, you know, maybe partnering up and bringing something huge to Long Beach or here uh, in California? I'm going to need those contact details. <laughs> I would love that. I actually love Long Beach. Uh, one of my one of my bros lives in Long Beach, right on the beach. And it's actually one of my favorite cities. I would love for us to do something. It would be really, really cool. Oh, well, let's yeah. get it. I got it. I got Don't worry, I won't us. charge too much of a percentage <laughs> fee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, um, yeah. Lisa, on, I just have a question about some of the licensing deals. What What are the music licensing deals like in the African market? And as an independent artist, do you have to sign deals with each territory around the world? 
or is it an overall uh, deal? So for me, being an independent artist signed to my own label, I do distribution deals. Um, and then I have different avenues pertaining to licensing with the films that I do. I kind of broker my music into the soundtrack and the end credits. Uh, the film that I did called Asking For It with Vanessa Hudgens, Ezra Miller, my previous single featuring Mare Coon is in the soundtrack and in the end credits. I like to keep it as minimal as possible. Um, I have partnered with Not Just Okay, which is a distribution company. But as far as licensing, I don't really go down that avenue um, just for me, because right. for the things that I'm currently doing in the future, I will. But there are overall umbrella deals that you can do, depending on what label you partner with to do a licensing agreement. But I'm independent. Okay. And do you have... And you're in, do you have a team or do you do it all on your own? I, God, it's not even me. It's all through God. I will give God the glory every opportunity that I get. Um, God has made it possible for me to build my team because when I started in 2018, it was me. And going to Nigeria, you know, going back home, uh, working with Spells, Kublon, uh, different Clem, all these amazing producers, meeting with uh, Don Jazzy and just getting insight from different people. Um, I've started to, you know, establish relationships, start establish friendships and then seeing people who actually believed in what I'm doing. And they're like, look, I'm willing to work with you. Let's build and see where this takes us. And looking back now, because I'm currently working on my EP, I have a team of over 15 people in Nigeria that are working with me. And I'm just like, wow, like, you know, that's come a long way from, you know, just me doing this, you know, on my own and building my team here in the States. Um, it's been kind of the same journey, but it's it's an interesting experience to start and then turn around and see like there are other people who actually believe in the mission, believe in what you're doing and wholeheartedly are putting their time and efforts as if it was something they're doing for themselves. It's the best feeling to see how I'm you actually going grow back to a brand. In a week and a half. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I'm actually nice. going back to Nigeria week and a half. I'll be out there for three weeks. Um, we're shooting some more visuals for my upcoming I'm a Piano single. And then we're doing some more things for the upcoming EP that drops. And then I'm doing a launch party. So if any of you guys are in Nigeria in June, I am inviting you all to the launch party. So come one, come all. Um, but it, it's been great. I love Having, that. You know, building your army and just seeing that everyone is on the same page and they're passionate about the project at hand because it's not an I, it's a we thing. And I like to make sure that yeah. every single person on the team is aware of that and how grateful that I am because time is something you can't get back. And I'm very fortunate for every single one of them. So. And Greg, I have one last question for you because in addition to all the things that you do, in addition to being a broadcaster, you also set up Kalimba Coffee Company with farmers in Cameroon. And I'm just curious, did you get any pushback or skepticism from local African people as an American trying to do business on the continent? Uh, did they understand your intention was to create equitable arrangements for the teams in both countries? Yeah, no pushback at all. Actually, we are a collective of African Americans who buys from a collective of small lot farmers in the mountains of Cameroon. 
Our leader is from Cameroon and his family originate from the region, the, the uh, Boyo region, or they call it department, the Boyo department uh, in the mountains of Cameroon, in Anglophone Cameroon, by the way. And um, Maddie uh, organized these farmers to be more competitive in the coffee market. It's these, all these collectives and, you know, they're small lot farmers. So, you know, back in the day, they were, uh, you know, every man for himself, every man and woman for themselves in terms of the coffee. But, we, uh, you know, Maddie is like, OK, you can be stronger and realize more, you know, more commerce as a collective. And so here on this side, uh, there, there's about uh, 15 of us. Uh, we're bringing in by the ton uh, the, the coffee. The biggest challenge and pushback is that the, the, the nation is in armed conflict. Uh, uh, we mentioned earlier the Francophone, Francophones against the Anglophones. And so basically the northern part of Cameroon was settled by the French. And so they speak French. The southern part is, uh, you know, the, the English speakers. And uh, they were set, uh, colonized by the British. And uh, they don't get along, you know. And so there's armed conflict. The president's been in office for, I don't know, yeah, 40, yeah. Years, 40 years and all this. So we get, we get, we encounter coming out of the mountains because it's, it's, we're a coffee cartel. Okay. This is a real thing. <laughs> We're coming out of the mountains on the backs of motorcycles and in the trunks of cars and the sisters with the big, big beams on their head. And, and we're bringing, you know, by the ton coffee from these places. And we're encountering not only gangs and cr criminals, but we're encountering government troops. Um, one quick story I'll leave you with is that we did build a milling station to make it easier for when they came out of the mountains, they could bring the, the beans right there. We could do the milling. It was a convenient location. But what we didn't know is that the structure was in the middle of a crossfire between opposing forces. So gunfire could break out at any time and we had to close the facility because folks got hurt. Yeah, it's it's a whole we call them beans of resistance. So that's the only pushback that we've ever had is just the internal conflict in the land. Okay. And one last question for Abdul. What is your ultimate vision as Afrofuture grows and what's in store? What what would be your ideal vision? Well, my ideal vision would be a platform owned by the diaspora together for us to kind of create content that supports uh, our needs. Um, uh, you know, right now we're building into a, a production company that allows us to be able to tell stories around music, maybe create more music, support uh, rising artists that are developing music on the continent, from the continent, um, and being able to work to kind of get them really good deals and tell stories about them. Uh, document stories about some of our musicians uh, are great. Tell story about, you know, Young Africa, as he mentioned, you know, Africa is going to be the youngest continent over the next couple of, um, you know, years. You know, we should experience that. And, and I think that we need content that is commensurate to the people on the ground, what young Africans are doing, what they're thinking, what what is important to them. And, and we want to be able to be the vehicle to kind of create that continent. Uh, and we also established some properties as far as like events in other parts of Africa as well. So last year we, we opened up in South Africa and Cote d'Ivoire. This year we're back at Cote d'Ivoire, as you mentioned earlier, and South Africa. Africa at the end of September. But we're also doing some stuff in Nigeria um, uh, and, and Kenya as well. And looking forward to just kind of being able to kind of be that, um, 
that that agency on the continent that that's working to build that this entertainment scene uh, and, and and working with partners across the continent to do that. I love that. I love that. Well, we hope you enjoyed and learned something new about Afrobeats to our viewers out there and listeners. If you have, please hit the like and subscribe buttons and make comments. And we'll be sure to answer your comments, questions, and suggestions. And I'd like to thank our guests, Abdul Kareem Abdullah, Lisa Yarrow, and Greg Johnson for Enlightening Music Day about the Afrobeats genre. Now, before we go, can each of you share your social media contact and website info? Abdul, let's start with you. Yes. Uh, so you can find us online on all platforms at Afrofuture and afrofuture.com. Um, you know, we're, we're all over social, so please find us, look for the hashtag, and, and you'll be able to find us. And Lisa, can you share your social and website as well as your upcoming single that's coming out and the date that it drops? Yes. So you guys can find me on social media at Lisa Yarrow. You can also find me at lisayarrow.com, my website, or you can message me at musiccornerllc at gmail.com or lisayarrow at gmail.com. And the upcoming single is I'm a Piano Record called Savage. It drops May 26th. BET is going to do the world exclusive premiere when the video drops June 16th. So make sure you check that out. Times Square. So. Love that. And last but not least, Greg. Well, I got many platforms, but go ahead and hit me at beachcityradio.com, beachcityradio.com. And that is a portal to get to all of our other platforms, social medias at Hannibal the Radio, H A N N I B A L T H A Radio. That's it, at Hannibal the Radio. Thank you. You'll find me. Come out. That sounds good. Well, this is Music Day, and I'm Monique Kelly. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll see you soon. Music Day, a verified hit. Associate producers Jackie Reinhardt, Barnell Johnson, Vivian Scott Chu, Mark Hill, Tony Winger, Sheila Eldridge, Pat Shields, Ken Johnson, and Shannon Henderson. This has been a Living Legends Foundation, Inc. production. Find out more about the Living Legends Foundation, Inc. or donate at livinglegendsfoundation.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.